What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, how you doing, everybody? Casey Ryan here again for another episode of The Cutting Room Floor, a little podcast that I started to showcase indie entertainers and creative types from all walks. I like to say, if you've got a story to tell or a project to sell, uh, then I want to hear from you. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter. You can ask anybody that knows me. I'm on there all the time, at Cutting Room MRB, or you can like me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Cutting Room MRB. A uh, quick little thank you, as we do at the top of every show, to The Wolf, who acts as my announcer. You can listen to him and his dear wife, Susan, uh, right here on the Mix Radio Network every Friday night from uh, 8 o'clock until midnight on the Live from the Morgue show. Always have fun crashing that show. Uh, or, and a quick thank you to Michael Cardello, who wrote my uh, little opener for me. They're free gratis and for nothing, and I'll just make sure that I give him credit whenever I sign on for the afternoon. So... Uh, we're doing a bit of a bonus episode because I've got three great guests lined up for you, one of which was uh, you know, just sort of a, uh, a favor that was kind of tossed to me at the last minute, and I was very, very happy to be able to have uh, Sal DeGuardia on, so he's going to be on a little bit later. Uh, we're going to run for 90 minutes today, but we're going to be, as I usually do, chop it up into two episodes, so there'll be an extra file for you guys if you want to listen to that. Uh, what, so the first segment of the show i've got somebody that i've wanted to have on for a long time i've been following this woman's career for the last couple of years on facebook really engaging and and uh post some really interesting stuff uh ellie ann is here uh and she's a new york times bestseller she's based out of missouri uh she writes sci-fi and fantasy for the young adult crowd uh, she's published 10 books on her own. Uh, she's a proud mother of three, and she knows apparently a thing or two about goat cheese making. Uh, so, at least according to her website, right? So, without further ado, the Cunningham Room Floor proudly welcomes, uh, again, this, un- this is an interview I want to do for a long time, uh, Ellie Ann. Ellie, how are you? I'm great, Casey. Thanks so much for having me here. I have a nice... Um, a nice little teacup full of mint tea and it's a really quiet afternoon and I've really been looking forward to being on your show too. I have kept an eye on you as well. So we've been spying on each other. Yeah, passive aggressive Facebook stalking, right? So <laughs> Oh, very. So, I would like, you know, like your your page and then and then you would like mine the next <laughs> week. It was, you know, very intense. Oh, very, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the first question I always have for you is, is uh, tongue-in-cheek. Did, did I get all of your bio information right, or is that close enough? 
Well, about the goat cheese making, um, if you read the whole thing, it says, you know, I'm a world famous nose flutist. Nose, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to bring that up. But, and uh... and, um, and a teller of tall tales. So you're going to have to decide on your own which the tales I'm telling are tall and which are fact. Well, you sound like a good old-fashioned Irish storyteller. I mean, that's what, that's what we're all about, right? You walk in and you tell a story that's, you know, 75% truth and 25% stark raving bullshit, you know, and you have to leave it up to people to figure out what's real and what's not. That is when the story gets good. Yeah, right? So... Uh, now you gotta Our add, reality I, I, is relative, so is it all of truth relative? If, <laughs> if you believe it to be, as George Costanza once said it on Seinfeld, if you believe it to be true, it's not a lie. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I, something else I got off of uh, your bio here, and I, I just got to ask you, because I'd never heard this word before uh, until you know the email exchange, but what is Studio Ghibli or Ghibli? Oh, yeah. Studio Ghibli um, it is a studio out of Japan. Um, you know, I would compare it to, you know, Pixar. Um, it's absolutely huge and um, a, a giant part of their culture. Um, studio Ghibli create, is, is made up of, of um, directors who created movies like Spirited Away, How's Moving Castle, um, Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, Princess Mononoke, um, these absolute um, phenomenal films that have, have stood the test of time and are classics taught in, you know, film um, schools. So they are... Um, I, no, I, I didn't realize that that was the wheelhouse for people like Yamazaki and... and uh, yeah. Yeah, so well, that's, that's cool. Really. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't pretend to know much about the uh, the anime, but every once in a while a good one comes out, like uh, like you said, like Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away or something like that, that sort of becomes a global phenomenon, right? Right. I highly recommend all of... Um, their films and and also um a new director that i've been following which i am madly in love with and that's Hisada, who um created wolf children um summer wars and then his newest is boy and the beast and everybody has to watch it like today it's so good i like eastern storytelling or at least um Hasada and um, Studio Ghibli because they they really don't tie things up in a, in a bow and you know like whenever you start like House Moving Castle the antagonist is the Witch of the Waste and as you go um, Witch of the Waste actually becomes a part of their family and and there there are no clear uh, I mean the world is pretty much gray and I really appreciate that um, in a way that. Um, other simpler stories don't have you know so like you never doubt that ursula is bad and you know obviously is going to get killed in the end <laughs> but in this story and in, in their stories it's much more complex than that and kind of shows you like you know if you if you end up killing um are you the bad guy or the good guy now, now I have to ask you because there there was a series that my brother-in-law got me hooked on that that had me off the planet and and you know that <laughs> something like that is is kind of it takes me away from watching movies but it, but have you read the Lone Wolf and Cub series? Little Wolf and Cub. Uh, Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh no, I haven't. That if if you like the the Japanese storytelling that that I mean it went on for like 
like 20 magnets or something like that in the, in the trades and I think all the uh, the covers were designed by Frank Miller because he became a huge fan of it too but that was some of the best storytelling I've ever seen oh I will definitely have to pick that one up then yeah it, it's a series of books I, I think they made it into a TV show in Japan but they uh, they haven't made a movie about it yet if I if I uh, there would be too, way too much ground to cover I would think but yeah so uh, you've written a lot. You're a very prolific writer, right? And um, you do. You mentioned to me offline here that that you, you do enjoy writing for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've I've always um, struggled with my my writing voice and um, and who I want my audience to be. So um, I've really wanted to fit in with the. Uh, the young adult crowd, and then I wrote a I wrote a trilogy for adults, a, a thriller that I co-wrote for adults, and um, so my genre has never been been solid. But um, about two two winters ago, um, I wrote a book, and it just like and I'm talking first draft, and it just wasn't fitting anywhere. I was like, I, it was supposed to be a, a young adult book that was more gritty and dark and um, and it just kept it. It did not want to go where I, I, I wanted it to. And um, finally, I finished it. And I was like, there, you're a young adult book. Just just be a young adult book. And I sent it off to my editor. And um, she she emailed me back after she read it after a couple days. And she goes, Ellie, this is a middle grade book trying to be a young adult book. <laughs> and I was like, Dang, it is. I, I'm I'm trying to be something that I'm not. And after she said that, you know, I still had a few contracts that I had to finish out. But um, I really started to embrace the fact that I really enjoy writing for children. I like that audience. Um, it engages me. And um, whenever I go to a bookstore. I almost always go to the children's or the middle book se section first. And so that kind of tells a little bit about what I'm drawn to. So I think that I'm finally um, stepping into who I'm, I am as a writer. And um, hopefully, you know, it took a lot for me to recognize that. And hopefully now I'll be brave enough to, to stick by stick by who I am so when you say kids are you talking about like under 12 under 16 uh, you know how, how you know what what age bracket are you looking at primarily my um prime primary is 8 to 12 8 to 12 okay all right um but I'm but the next five books that I'm contracted for are early readers so that was really exciting I created um science fiction and fantasy fantasy early readers that um, use about, you know, like 29 words um, in repetition to teach kids how to read, um, but are also telling an engaging, exciting story. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a huge market in and of itself, right? I mean, you know, you look to, you know, I mean, like, you know, the classic example of, you know, you know, Dr. Seuss, a lot of kids learn, like myself, learn to read by reading those books, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so. because repetition rhyming um just the the cadence and um it's also you know way more challenging than you would expect because um you are telling a story and trying to use the same same words over and over again and so i rely a lot on my illustrators and oh my god i i was able to contract the most 
awesome illustrators for these series. Um, illustrators like Courtney Hicks and um, and um, Brittany No and um, MK. Um, oh God, I forgot her last name. Um, I'll have to send you links to their sites because I'm, I'm just really excited about the illustrators that I have for them. And they'll be coming out in 2017. So please follow me and keep an eye out for these books um, so that you can buy them for um, your little kids learning to read. Well, yeah, and I, uh, I have a nephew that's going to be turning four in October. So I'll, uh, I'll definitely point my sister over there. Right. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. So these are these are little books, but I but I deal with big themes in them. So one of them's about nonviolence. One of them's about running away from abuse. One of them's about thief who learns how to stop running and connect to people. And um, and then another one's about um, protecting animals. So you know these just because you know and kids understand all those themes innately. So I'm I'm never. No, I, my kid, my kids, are are who I learn from more than anyone in the world, and so you know I learn so much from them. I I know that that these kid brains um are craving these deep themes and stories. Do you, do you think that uh, attitudes are changing about stuff like that though? I mean, you raise an interesting point about about uh, I mean, the, the, I mean, I'm I'm certainly old enough to remember. Uh, a, a theater group that came into my elementary school and put on a uh, a play about divorce, right? And hmm. and then two of the kids in the class just broke down in tears, and you could tell that that they were in a family like that, right? And I but I mean this was a lot of this stuff wasn't discussed until recently. Do you think that attitudes are changing about you know opening kids' eyes at an earlier age to to darker subjects? I certainly hope so. Um, I'm not very, I'm not very educated as far as, you know, um, as far as general, um, uh, you know, like what's going on internationally with kids. But um, I really hope that, that kids are getting the, I guess, mental stimulation and then confidence, like, I'm not the only one who thinks like this or, um, and then also the, the knowledge, um, to uh, of of big topics because they can handle a lot you know kids are already handling a lot and so we need to treat them like they are you know whether it like my my kid I I'm also divorced so my kids are also um you know part of a separated family and um and so just with that you know they're dealing with so much so to pretend that they aren't you know capable is is just doing them a disservice so how do you, um, okay, I'm going to word this question carefully, but how, how do you address a difficult subject without it becoming sort of a bit of a boogeyman tale, for lack of a better word? Like, you know, how do you address it tastefully, but, but still put it in a position where they can digest it without being afraid? That is an awesome question. And, um, well, I guess... For, for an example, um, you know, it's just to tell it simply. And um, as you'll remember, all of our fairy tales um, are very dark. And, and they're, you know, all these tales of morality are about how when um, Red Riding Hood um, 
got off the path, then her grandmother was eaten <laughs> so by the wolf. Right. And right. Um, and so, like, the our, our children's tales um, historically have always been about, like, uh, about ethics and, and morality and, and right and wrong. So um, I think that it's it's not anything new. Um, one way that I personally um, like to tell it is just by centering it around a character. And so then um, they can see how this character is reacting. And, because, um, and so whether, so it will breed empathy in them, um, you know, because kids' heart, hearts are so, so big. So whenever they're reading about um, Rook, who's a thief with no home, and she's always running away. She's always stealing and running away, stealing and running away. And finally, she steals from the switch, and the witch catches her. And um, and then it's about how she actually connects to this this witch. And then when Rook accidentally sets the kitchen on fire, then Rook runs away again. And and the witch this time goes and finds her. And and so um, when when you center around you know, the character, the, then they can feel what the character is feeling instead of preaching. So, you know, the one about um, escaping an abusive home, it's very simple, you know, like this character um, has a hard life and, um, and, this is, and then this is how they run away. And it's a tale of heroism, you know, and it's a tale that says, you know, if if you are getting hurt, then you then you run away like you do not deserve to live like that. And um, so I just just hope that, you know, it gets in to um, all the right hands and all the right minds, because um, I just want to be a part of of help. And I want to be a part of healing and I want to be a part of the storytelling in that whatever way I can. Okay. The other thing too, is that you, you also mentioned that diversity is a large component of what you do, right? Um, in what context would you say that falls into play? Well, I grew up and, um, guess how many books I read that featured a black boy protagonist? Uh, probably not very many, I would imagine. I like zero, zero books. And that makes me so upset because when you read a book, you feel empathy. You feel um, for this character. You get into their world. You're in their head. You're in their life. And so I'm creating empathy and, and world building and normalcy at a young age um, by reading about a bunch of white people. And, and I think that that is doing me a disservice as a child to always see um, my my race and, and my skin color in all the books that I was reading, you know. And of course, that has to do with you know I was I was living in um, a small town in um, Grinnell, Iowa, <laughs> but um, but I don't want that in any of the books that that I create. Um, the characters that I create are usually um, they're they're fantasy, so. Um, so I, I can do whatever the heck I want with their culture, you know. So I'm using bright colors and and different stuff, and different architecture, not just Western. And um, the skin colors are very diverse, and then and also the orientations are diverse. So one of my characters um, is non-binary. Um, so I said these are 
the stories that I want to tell. And it's not, it is, it actually isn't for my number one goal, um, isn't actually for the readers who, um, look like the people it look like the main character. My number one goal is for, um, um, the, the readers of privilege, um, who are putting themselves in, in another person's shoes. Uh, for one book. And it's funny that you mentioned that on on the subject of diversity, because um, I I was just having this very same discussion with uh, a couple of my best friends the other day. We went and saw the new version, uh, the John Favreau version of The Jungle Book, right? Hmm? Uh, Mm -hmm. Great film if you haven't seen it, by the way. And, you know, the three of us were standing around and, and we said, you know what? This is one of the rare Disney movies of the classic lexicon, right? That mm-hmm. had the central character that was a little boy, right? Mm-hmm. That, Such a great point. Yes, you know the, it was all about princesses and yes, you know, and, and the you know, and they and they you know the princes would come in and rescue them in the end and all that kind of stuff. And it was always about the you know the, 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 the little girl's journey. But you know the, this was the first one that came out that that spoke to God that, that spoke to little boys. And I, I thought you know that was kind of a a, a profound thing too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's like we we need um, all these stories. And right now there is a there is a gross um, uh, percentage of um, of white and middle class characters and and children, middle grade, um, young adult fiction. So, and the number one way to fix that is always to um, hire and buy um, from diverse creators. It's the number one. Like that's that is going to be the impetus for change. And then I I would say then like number two is creators um, create outside of your point of view. So you know like I'm I'm creating more diverse characters, but um, number one is to get more um, people of color in the publishing world um, as editors and publishers and writers and everything. So I, I really hope to see a change. No, I, I want to make uh, mention of a, a, a signing that you've got coming up. But first, I, I just sort of wanted to touch on the fact that you're actually trying to, to break into a different area with another uh, thing that's a love of yours in terms of comic books. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I love comic books. I was, um, contracted to write a comic book about, I think three years ago now. And it was like, I had no idea how to write a comic. I was fresh out of prose and, and they, they hired me anyway, um, for a great contract. It got a good deal. And so I wrote, um, a six issue, um, story about a female werewolf in Paris and, um, in the dark ages and then the company um, went down and didn't publish the series. And so, but then I'm like, oh my oh gosh, I love this. I have to keep going. And so I kept on writing and writing. And I have these comic books that I want to publish. And, and so I hope it gets there eventually. It, it's, it's been a pretty, pretty tough road so far. I just got rejected twice um, in the past couple weeks. And so um, I don't know. I will, we'll just see where where it goes well, i hope I it mean, finds uh, the right home i mean I, I i know a couple of indie comic houses if you want me to i can make a couple of introductions for you 
That would be wonderful. I would appreciate that so much. Well, we've, we've, I've had a lot, and I mean a lot of, of comic book people. I, I, apart from movies, I would probably say that's my number two in terms of the number of interviews that I've racked up in the last seven years is comic books. So there's, there's a lot of that activity in that area. You know? Be incredible. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I'd appreciate it. So you're heading to Kansas City in August, I understand. Is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, that's going to be a, a great trip to Worldcon and get to meet a bunch of my authors that I'll drool over. I can't <laughs> wait to. And um, Kanuka Craft is going to be there, so I can't wait for her to sign all my work. I'm really, I mean, all my books that I've bought like over the years, I'm a huge fan. So I can't wait to be there. And I'll also have a booth for anyone who wants to um, buy books or have me sign books and yeah, so that's one of my upcoming conventions. Do you, uh, do you, is that something that you enjoy, getting out and, and meeting kids and their parents that have read your stuff? Excuse, sorry, can you say that again? I said, is, is that something that you enjoy, getting out to, uh, to conventions and meeting kids and parents that have, that have read your stuff? Oh, yeah. It's one of the most inspiring things to me is to meet um, young readers and and people that have come back for my books and want more. Um, But my my absolute favorite part of of conventions is whenever I meet a new young writer um, because they have absolutely no like prohibitions at all (laughs) like the entire world is theirs and just to like see their excitement and hear their ideas and it's just um the most inspiring thing to me so i love talking to and and hearing from new new writers like especially like teen writers you know i just love it i think what i'm going to do here ellie if i can is i'm just going to take a quick minute and see if i can get uh Andrew Treglia on the line here. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me just see. Uh, okay, come on. Okay, well, we're uh, running a little bit late. Uh, let me just see here. Uh, I can't seem to call him. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what else are you up to? Like, if, what what other projects have you got on the uh, on the horizon? Um. Uh, the kids books and then um, chapter books so um, I want you guys to keep an eye out for September because I'm coming out with a Kickstarter then actually oh you will okay all right reading one of my chapter books um, for the first uh, print run and um, so I'm really excited to introduce you guys to that that book it's called Nick Saint versus the Killer Bees <laughs> oh great great so uh ellie what can i tell you this has been a great fun chatting with you and certainly if there's anything that i can do to help you with your promotional work then by all means let me know and and uh you know i'd be happy to have you back anytime that you like all right thank you so much you're such a cool uh, interviewer i really enjoy it well good good i'm glad you had fun all right so enjoy the rest of your day and, and we'll definitely be in touch soon all right all right all right take care you too bye bye Okay, so what I think we're going to try to do is uh, we seem to be having some issues here trying to get Andrew on the line. So, uh, Andrew, if uh, if you're there, what can I tell you? Uh, I think we're going to try to take a break, and um, I'll play the Hollywood Rock and Wrap-Up, 
and we'll be back and hopefully we'll be able to get Andrew on the line. We're going to play some crash test dummies for you. The Ballad of Peter Pumpkin had one of my favorite old songs from uh, Dumb and Dumber because I like to play songs that are related to movies. So we'll be back in a few minutes. And Andrew, if you're listening, please uh, try to hop on there and it's not seeming to let me, uh, not seeming to let me call you there for some reason, but we'll try to get you online. It's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up with your host, Jason Hadley. Paparazzi caught up with Bizarre Foods host Anthony Zimmer, who confessed he'd be willing to go someplace where people ate human flesh. There's always something cooking in Milwaukee. Hello? Rapper. Sorry about that. Okay, Andrew, are you there? You there? Uh, Andrew, can you hear me? Hello? Hello, Andrew, can you hear me? I can kind of hear you, sort of. Uh, I can't really hear you. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, all right. Uh... I've got no audio of you. Hold on, hold on, let me no, see. We're not doing the video. We're, we're just going to do the audio. All right. Can you hear me? Hold on. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? It's real faint. I'm going to try okay, to call you no, back. Okay, can you okay. hear? Okay, okay, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. How do I sound? Okay, all right. Sorry, no, sorry about that. I, uh, I had... So what we're going to do is, uh, I'm just going to take my mid-show break. If you could just please put yourself on mute. We're going to do the Hollywood Rock and Wrap-Up. I'm going to play a piece of music, and then we'll be right back to talk with you. Is that all right? All right. Sounds good, brother. All right. Thanks a lot. Sorry about the mix-up. That's all right. All right. Okay. So let's uh, to not... Will to... Wayne's being chased by American Express. All right. Let me try that again. We'll uh, call up the Hollywood Rock and Wrap-Up by Jason Hadley, and I'll play a different one this time. So... It's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap Up with your host, Jason Hadley. Caitlyn Jenner will be attending the ESPYs to accept the Arthur Ashe Award for Courage. The former Bruce Jenner became famous in 1976 for winning a gold medal at the Olympics. And since her transformation, all that work made her a world-class facelifter. Cheating on Kourtney Kardashian, baby daddy Scott Disick continues his nightclub lifestyle despite allegations he's abandoning his kids. Chuck E. Cheese's continues to ignore Scott's letters requesting a VIP section and bottle service. A judge has had enough of rapper DMX and sentenced him to six months in jail. Considering his long list of offenses in recent years are more popular than his music, DMX would do better to make his criminal record available on iTunes. Madonna's being accused of racism after posting a picture of her two African-born children rubbing her feet. Maybe not racist, but certainly a bad cook, as all her children had that day were corns. And that's the Hollywood Rock and Wrap-Up. Follow us on Twitter at Rock and Wrap Up. Let's begin. 
songs way Good Canadian group. A crash test on me is another cover of Peter, uh, the Ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead, uh, right here on the cutting room floor. So my next guest on the uh, second segment of the show, and again we're going to be going for 90 minutes today, uh, is of course Andrew Treglia. And uh, Andrew has had a really interesting story, and I've, I've wanted to have him on for a while too. Uh, he's a director and a producer from the great city of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, someplace that I've been a few times on business. Uh, he recently completed an absurdist documentary called Lord of the Freaks that had more cameos than you could probably shake a stick at, and uh, I'm not even going to get into that because uh, some of them are so interesting that I want to ask them about them myself. Uh, and uh, he's got some other projects in the works, including a uh, working on another film that he sent me a screener for, uh, which unfortunately I didn't have a chance to watch this morning because uh, I was running short on time, but but I do want to watch the, uh, the Atlanta and uh, Andrew and, and have you back soon to talk about that, if that's okay. So, yeah, right on, right on. So, uh, without further ado, the cutting room floor proudly welcomes. Uh, again, it's not often that I have uh, three new people in one week, but the uh, the second of our, our three part series here uh, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Andrew Treglia. Andrew, how what's are you doing? going on, man? Born and raised Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's, uh, go, go Pens, right? So, uh, Penguin Steelers. Pens and Steelers. You know what? I I, I, I got to say this to start off with. The last time I was down there on, on business was one of the years that the Steelers won the, the Super Bowl. And everywhere you went, I could not look 10 feet in any one given direction without seeing the Steelers logo. And even to the point where I, I, I went to a McDonald's and at the bottom of the receipt it said, Go Steelers. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like I tell people, if you ever meet somebody from Pittsburgh... And they're not a Steelers fan. You can't trust them. No, I mean it's like being in Montreal and not being a Canadiens fan. I mean they'll, you know, kick your tail. I don't, you know? I don't even watch sports, and it's just it's Pittsburgh is is an anomaly. There's a few places in America that are left like this, but it really is like, I mean, I my ancestry is Italian and Irish, but I'm a hundred percent Pittsburgher. Like it is a cultural place, and so. It's the Steelers. It's not about the Steelers. Like the Steelers represent the people. They play like the people. the The team is like the culture. It's hard to explain. It's 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 something you have to be born and raised in. Um, it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. And and the founder of the Steelers, uh, Art Rooney. Uh, he's he lived and died in the house that he was born in. He was born in the North Side. Um, he grew up and stayed in this house his whole life. He he was an amazing guy, and he he was the foundation for for this love of that the Steelers is. And so, like, he would go to he would get the paper back in the day, and he would go to people's funerals, just out of nowhere, just to pay his respects. You know, he would just show up at somebody's funeral and be like, Art Runer showed up to say, "Hey, sorry about the loss of your your family member." You know, and like when he died, I mean, there's 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 a there's a statues of him in the city. You know, it says something when when you're a, a multi-millionaire, billionaire like he was, and 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 you put people first, and you put love first, that they'll build statues of you. You know, it's but a beautiful it, thing. 
and I would say that that, that kind of goes along with the mood of the the city in general, right? Like it's a fairly big place, but it feels like a small town, right? It, it is, and it, it's it's um, yeah, it's just a great place to grow up, man. I'm so proud to be from there, and and you see people, everybody that's from there feels the same way. I mean, I I you know look at uh, uh, what's uh, Michael Keaton, the speech he gave about you know being born and raised in Pittsburgh, and have you ever seen that speech that he gave? It was no. I think he when no. he won the he won an award and he gave a speech about being raised in Pittsburgh and his seven brothers and sisters and I mean it's a tearjerker. I, it's I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a, I'm so it's the one of the few places left in the in the states that really is is a cultural place and it's a tough place. I mean the saying is that Pittsburghers love each other during the day and fist fight at night. <clears throat> it's just it's just a great place to be from. I'm just proud to be from there. Are are you still living there? Or are you out in the no, west? no, I haven't lived there. And uh, my mom, my my family lives there, but I don't live there anymore. You, you out in the west coast? I take it, or yeah, okay. yeah, on the west coast. Um, I was I don't know how what what way you want to go with this, but right presently I'm in um, Phoenix, and I'm working um, with a startup called Time Fire, and they are building the fir- world's first uh, city in virtual reality. So I'm the only uh, film and uh, TV producer in the company right now, um, trying to just produce sizzles and trying to sort of tell their story. And it's a pretty incredible what they're doing. Well, okay, I'm going to get back to the virtual reality bit. Yeah, but, yeah, sure, but, sure. But, but the, uh, I just wanted to tell you, this is, I, didn't really, I had no clue you were in Phoenix because the guy that I have coming on right after you that you're going to get a chance to meet, Sal DeGuardi, is a, uh, a singer. First of all, great name, by the way, but go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you don't get, you know, it's, it's like I, I told him, he's got a good Irish name like me, right? <laughs> so, right, right. But, but uh he actually is a singer-songwriter out of Phoenix, so this might be an interesting connection for you. So, oh, man, yeah, I do, so. totally. Because I've been here for a little while. I'm not a huge fan. Not a huge fan of the area. Huge fan of the company I'm working with. Not a huge fan of the Phoenix area at this point. And if there's any artists out here and you know, like connect with, that'd be a beautiful thing. Well, he's on the verge of launching his first album in October, so uh, I'll, I'll definitely arrange that. Oh, great, yeah. Uh, so the, the virtual reality concept, I, you know, you said you're the only TV director that's actually working on this thing. It's it's interesting because um, it was weird. I kind of just started thinking in my head, you know. Um, I just I, it's it, I I can't even describe like the the founder is a guy named John Wise. He's a brilliant guy, beautiful guy, really really nice guy. I mean, when I first interviewed with him, we spent three hours talking. We talked about like DMT and ayahuasca and just you know, just a great dude. And it's hard to he doesn't even know where this is going to go. But basically, it's a city in virtual reality. It's called Hypatia. And you can rent an apartment. You can start a business. Like, you can basically live in the city. And anybody from all over the world, like, you could, you, could, you could have a product and have a business. And then anybody from anywhere in the world could come to your business. And then you could actually sell them the product in, in base reality, they call it. I mean, it's hard to even explain, but as soon as I saw it and saw what they were doing, I was like, "Holy crap! This is uh, this is this is the future." So it's it's kind of to, I mean, I, I can't even wrap my head around this. And I yeah, mean, I, I'm in the IP. I, I mean, I, I work in in high tech to as a day job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh-huh. but but it sounds to me like you've taken a concept like The Sims video game and and turned it on its ear and brought it to a whole new level right that, that's exactly what i said to him it's kind of like sim city but in virtual reality yeah i mean it's 
it's hard to even describe. It's 500 miles of road. So basically he took parts of uh, cities all over the world in what they call, again, base reality. So there's parts of Jerusalem, there's parts of Paris, there's parts of Rome, and then there's, there's Fantasy City. And then surrounding it is mountains, and um, you can buy property there too. So basically, and right now where they're at is so if it's like it's like you're almost like a, a frontiersman if you go and buy property there now. So there's going to be property that is going to get very expensive. Um, you know, it's almost like you could go there now and buy property around Central Park in New York. You know that you could never afford now unless you're the rich and famous. Um, yeah, it's it's I, I'm, I'm hope I'm not doing a good job of describing this, but it's it it just blows my mind what they're doing. So, so then, what's your involvement with it? Then, I mean, how, you know, are, are you a solution architect on this? Are you an entertainment director? I, I, I guess yes, it's the second one. Yeah. So, like for example, right now, what I'm doing is they did their they're doing their first. Um, they're basically releasing like a hundred copies to people, and they're going to have them play in the city and then report back to them, sort of give them because they're going to do their beta release in December. So this is like a pre-beta release. So they've been playing, you know, with people, and so I'm basically doing a sizzle for them right now. Sort of, I'm just, I'm, I'm telling their story, and what I'm doing is sort of getting developed as we go. I, I just stumbled upon this, you know, and um, I, I want to get involved. I want to, I want to stay involved. It's, it's it, you know, it, what I'm going to do. It depends. Like we, we could, we could end up developing into a full blown production studio because let's, for example. Let's say, and this will happen, let's say Walgreens um, opens a store in Hypatia, right? So you go on in virtual reality and you go to shopping at Walgreens and you, instead of getting online and ordering something from Walgreens, you can actually go to, to, to Hypatia and walk around Walgreens, right? And so let's say you buy some um, coffee at Walgreens. I don't know why you buy coffee at Walgreens, but let's just for an example. And so you're buying the coffee, so you play the video of this organic coffee that you bought and now you're transported to Peru where the coffee is made and you and you see the story of how the coffee was made. You, you see where I'm going with this? Right, right. So this is all stuff that needs to be produced. So we could actually, there could be producers all over the world for this, but we could be part of, you know, one of the, one of the leaders in producing this content. So it just, it does, I don't know where it's going to be honest with you, but it's exciting. Uh, I wanted to take a step back. You, you uh, mentioned that you were, um, you know, kind of in the final stages of negotiations for uh, for a film that you were working on your second feature, right? Called, yeah. Called, called, yeah. Called the Atlantan. Yeah. And I, first of all, I wanted to to thank you very much for having sent that to me, but I I didn't get home until later last night, and I was busy this morning, so I didn't have a chance to watch it. My, but... it's totally my fault. I sent that to you way too late. I mean, it's a two-hour film. It's a, you know, it's a hundred-minute film. I shouldn't expect you to watch that the night before, but. Uh, Whenever you get a chance. No, and, no, and you know what? Uh, if it's okay with you, I would like to have you back maybe next month, and you know, I'll watch it between now and then, and then we can have a more in-depth discussion about that. Would you be open? That'd to be that? great. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, all right. Because I, I always make a point when whenever anybody sends me the movies, I, I really make an effort to watch them. So that's why. Uh, I mean, I, I've listened to your your podcast, and we got to get you out there. Like, I, I love the way you interview, and I love your style, and I love your transparency and your honesty. Like, I think you do a really good job. Well, I appreciate that, and and you know what? Like I, I've always said that when I started the show, they uh, and you know, I, I nod to my friends uh, Ian Ritchie and Kevin Lacouf, who I've known since I was twelve, mm -hmm. uh, and they're my sounding board basically. And and I said, you know what? I want to start a show that's like the three of us after we see a movie and we spend a half an hour arguing about what we saw in the parking lot before we go home. <laughs> 
Right, right. That's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was always the mood that I shot for. You know, mm -hmm. so so I appreciate that. So, uh, but but what is the Atlantan about? So the Atlantan is about a guy. It's based on um, real events. There was a guy in Atlanta. This this poor guy. My my heart goes out to him. Uh, I one day I'm, I'm I, when I I actually lived in Atlanta for for several years. I came up in Atlanta, and um, I'm driving home. And they used to have the, they have these historic trees that they won't cut down. So every time there's a major rainstorm, they end up falling all over the street. And this guy's driving home. He's got his wife and two kids in the back seat. And a tree gets hit by lightning and falls in his car and kills his family. And I saw it. And then I, I knew the police officer that was, um, that was on the scene. And the, he said the guy was just, you know, obviously walking around in a daze. He couldn't believe what happened. And so in the Atlantan, uh, same thing happens. A guy loses his, uh, his family, tree falls in the car, kills his family. And he ends up on Skid Row. And um, basically, he ends up on Skid Row and he ends up, uh, at the same time in Atlanta, there's, there's a major crime problem. Uh, so up the street from my house, this, this bar gets robbed on like a Tuesday afternoon. And... They leave, they get the money, they leave, and then as they're driving away, because it's so wild west there, um, they realize that there's not that much money. But because it was a Tuesday afternoon, there's not that much money in the till. But they actually turn around. This is actually happens. Go back into the bar and shoot the bartender and then leave again. And so this happens in the film. So he's on Skid Row and he's hanging out in bars, you know, doing drugs, and he ends up happening upon this robbery. He ends up shooting the... Uh, the robber, and then he ends up going on a, a crack cocaine and alcohol-induced bender, killing crack dealers around the city of Atlanta. So it's it's a very uh, raw sort of. Um, I guess we're going for sort of a '70s type of uh, feel for the film. Yeah, yeah I was going to say there's kind of a uh, sort of a pulp feel to it, right? Like a, a you know a pulp crime story. Yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, it's realism and, and surrealism mixed. Um, the DP actually is from Pittsburgh as well. Chris Lockerman, great DP. Um, he shot a very raw. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And it's not so much like, um, I, although I think this would be a great film. If, I think this would be very successful, sort of that 70s Clint Eastwood a revenge type character film. Um, but it's a little more surreal than that, but it has that element of it. Oh, yeah, you're just, you know, you look at some of the grittier, you know, Al Pacino cop stories and, and things like that too, right? That that there's you know sort of an underlining griminess there. That, that I just think that if somebody came out with a, an updated Dirty Harry, it would kill it. And just what's going on today, it would kill it. You know, what, you know what's funny about that? It's funny that you mentioned that because I, I I watched this film a couple of times and I I thought you know what with a minor rewrite. Grand Torino could have been the last Dirty Harry film. When you think about it, you know, yes, that's so true. Um, it needed a minor rewrite, I thought. No, and and uh, I, I just kept thinking to myself that you know that the similarities between those two characters were, you know, and given Eastwood's age and that kind of thing, and and you know he was still you know tough as nails into his eighties, and I, I thought with a minor rewrite, you know, it could have been him in retirement dealing with some, you know, shitty problem in the city, and and right, why didn't they do that? God damn, you're right about that. You That's know? a good point. 
I, dude, I gotta say, Clint Eastwood. I, I grew up in a really shitty household. Can I swear on this? You just go, go right ahead. Okay. Um, you know, I my I, don't, I don't, really don't know. I haven't seen my father in thirty years. Uh, I was pretty much abused as a child. I'm not trying to get off on this tangent, but Clint Eastwood raised me, man. Like he raised me. Like he was. A, he was. A, I don't know. There's something about the his characters that you know he believes in. You know, like when he's on. He's not the greatest actor, but he's definitely the greatest presence, I think, in the history of cinema. Well, he's also one hell of a storyteller, too. I mean, I, I, I love the films that he's directed. I mean, you know, some of those are among my favorites, right? Um, like what? Which ones? Well, like uh, Million Dollar Baby comes to mind. Uh, I've I watched that over and over again. Uh, um, Mystic River is another one of my favorites. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, I, you know, I'm drawing a blank right now. I think Heartbreak Ridge was one of his too. Uh, what you know? What was interesting was I, I thought Unforgiven when you talked about um, the Dirty Harry and the and the uh, and the Grand Torino. Unforgiven was sort of like the the, the goodbye for that for um, for the man with no name, which I thought was so cool. All those characters, the man with no name, he played all the westerns. It's it's funny because I uh, I I didn't like Unforgiven as a kid when I saw it and I came out and uh, I went with my dad because my dad is a huge 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 uh, Gene Hackman fan okay which and with good reason with good reason yeah I mean you know there's this dozens of, of films of his that I watch over and over again like uh, you know the French Connection and the Mississippi Burning and on and on but but uh, I, I watched that again I remember in my t late 20s and I said okay I get this now you know like I right that's what know. it takes it takes it, it takes a second watch to get that yeah to see what he's doing exactly. Now, I—I I mean, I, everybody's got their own journey, Andrew. And I, I was kind of curious about this because uh, you, you made a brave move personally, right, to to get into the film business in the first place, right? I was, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I um, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I think about the decision that I made. I was in my thirties, my early thirties, and I had a uh, a parking business, and. Um, for some reason, I was writing a script. I don't really know why. And one of my valets was in, in film school. And we were talking about my script. And I was telling him, you know, where I want to put the camera and how I want to do this and that. And he was like, man, you're a director. You should be a director. <laughs> I applied to grad school and ended up selling the business. And, and, and uh, got out of grad school in 06 at the age of 36. My, you know, my... The business is still around. It's one of the largest parking uh, parking companies in the southeast. My old partner's a multimillionaire, <laughs> which, you know, you talk about it, eating a shit sandwich for your art. Um, <laughs> bro. Well, no, I, but I, my, you, you, I mean, that aside, but I mean, come on, you, you chose a, between a career that brought you happiness monetarily and one that, that you know, brought you happiness intrinsically and i mean does it though does it i'm not even i'm not even sure it brings me happiness intrinsically i just don't think i had a choice i and i think that uh, when i was in grad school uh um because one of my teachers in grad school who's you know was like my mentor who's not like my best friend he's like a brother of mine now we actually worked on a film together he directed it i was second unit director and i acted in it it's called transmigration um it was a brazilian american production insane experience but um he was in a meeting and he and somebody said uh andrew treglia didn't choose filmmaking filmmaking chose him 
and I'm not 100% like, you know, people, I tell people the story and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, that's great. You, you showed your, your passion. All that. I'm not sure I made the right decision. I just don't know I had a choice. Well, no, but I mean, that, that happens to some people, right? That, that uh, you know, you view some jobs as a, a calling and you view some jobs as, you know, something that you, you crawl into by accident and you realize that you're good at, right? Uh, I mean, you know, somebody... Uh, oh, uh, okay, Andrew, you still there? Uh, okay, I think we just lost him. But, uh, Andrew, if you're there and you want to try calling back in... Uh, you know, you're more than welcome to. Otherwise, I think what I'm just going to do is I'm going to move on and uh, see if I can get Sal DeGuardi on here. Oh, no, no, I'm going to get him back. All right. Okay, uh, Andrew? Yeah, I'm back. Okay, yeah, all right. So, um... Some jobs are calling, what were you saying? So, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, somebody told me that I was going to, you know, be a, a corporate, you know, salesman and business consultant. I was like, yeah, that's boring. But, I mean, I found out I was really good at it, and I've use those skills to start this, you know, I mean, I'm yeah. at, and I've been yeah. at it for, you know, I mean, you don't learn anything by accident as far as I'm concerned. That's right? true. That's true. Um, yeah, I, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, um, I, I was definitely crazy. There's no, there's no question about it. I don't know if, I, if that decision confronted me again, if I'd made the, made the same decision, I don't know. But I mean, I'm definitely the quintessential American underdog. That's for sure. So we have to tie this up, but I want to make sure we get in a plug for your websites. Where can people go to learn more about you, Andrew? Okay, so um, I still I look. I want to make the film available even while I'm figuring out what I'm going to do with it. So you can watch it at theatlantinfilm.com. Um, I might have to pull it at some point if once I get signed on with a distributor. But right now, the Atlantin's available at theatlantinfilm.com. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at A Treglia, A T R E G L I A. And hey, check out Lord of the Freaks too. Okay, yeah, and I was going to ask you about that because uh, of all the cameos and that. That looks, that, that looks damn hilarious. And I, I you know, I'd, I'd love, again, I want to have you back on next month because I do want to ask you about that. All right. Yeah, that's a that's a crazy film. No, and it, it, that's exactly the kind of stuff that I, the trailer had me cracking up, quite frankly. So, oh, all right. All right. Cool. All right. Okay. So let me, I've got to uh, get Sal on the line here, but uh, I'll definitely be in touch with you soon. All right. Yeah, give me in touch and, and put me in touch with him too if he's in town here. I'll I I, I will. I will. I will. All right. All right. Peace, okay. Casey. Thanks, take, man. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. So I'm going to see if I can get Sal the Guardia on the line here. All right. Okay, Sal, are you there? I am. Okay, great. Okay, so I'm I sorry about that. I was uh, actually tying up with Andrew Treglia. And before we move on, I also wanted to get in a mention for uh, Eliane, who was on here in the first half. Uh, we didn't get a mention for her websites, and uh, my policy is to make sure that we get in a good plug for that. Uh, Eliane is on Facebook, uh, and she's also on Twitter, very well engaged on there, at Eliane's Words and uh, at Eliane.net if you want to get a hold of her books or keep up with the great work that she's doing. Really interesting person out of Joplin, Missouri. Very cool. Yeah. So, and uh, Sal, I, I have a contact for you because I had Andrew Tregley on here, and he's a filmmaker out of Phoenix, and he wanted to meet you too. So, oh, fantastic. So, so uh, what I'm going to do is we're just going to toggle off just for one second for file sizes. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're going to start up a brand new episode right away, so please don't hang up. And uh, I'm even going to play one of your tracks for you today. All right? Oh, you're amazing. Thank All you, right. Casey. Take your time. Okay. Absolutely.
Okay, so yeah, uh, so what I'm going to do is we're just going to sign off and then we're going to be right back with uh, Sal DeGuardia here on the cutting room floor. Uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of minutes. Cut, print, wrap, and I am done. That was another edition of The Cutting Room Floor with your host, Casey Ryan. Follow Casey on Twitter at Cutting Room MRB and on Facebook, The Cutting Room Floor.